Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Until now, I try to hide the situation, but now no, because I repeat, I don't want to see what I have seen today, because this is unacceptable. Hello and welcome once again to the View from the Lane, the Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. I'm your host, Danny Kelly. Alongside me today, I'm delighted to say The Athletic's James Moore and Jack Pitt-Brook. Hello, James. Hello, Jack. Hi. Hello. Sooner or later, we were going to get to this point, wasn't it? The moment when the chickens came home to roost, when the rubber hit the road, when the shit hit the fan, or to be more precise in this case, when the shit hit the fans. Um, Jack, I'll start with you. It doesn't matter what happened to Southampton. Um, I'll start with you. Um, we'll get Maybe we'll go on to the game a little later. But the plan is just to talk about where we are now following uh, Antonio Conte's comments. I'll put it no more strongly than that. If that takes up the whole podcast, let it take up the whole podcast. But Jack, you were there. How far away physically were you from him? Uh, I was probably about one or two metres away from Conte. I was on the front row, slightly to the right-hand side, sat next to Alistair Gold, who I'm sure listeners will be familiar with, um, ah. for the course of this press conference. I've never, ever seen anything like it. I don't think I've ever seen seen or been aware of a press conference where a manager has just torched his relationship with the whole players like this it's i think i think it, i've been racking my brains coming up for precedence i can't come up with any i know that to a certain extent with conte this is you know outbursts are priced in but not not like this uh he has destroyed what what remains of his relationship with the squad i think he has we can get onto this later. It's open to interpretation whether to what extent he was criticizing Daniel Levy. Clearly, he criticized the club and the way that the club has gone over the last twenty years. And you know, we can we can go around in circles here. I'm shocked that he's that he's still in a job. You know, it's it's Monday ten thirteen at the moment. I my immediate reaction at the end of the press conference was he wants to be sacked. He's made his job yep. completely untenable, and there's no way he's going to be at Goodison Park. I, I thought he would be sacked on Sunday. He wasn't. I thought he might get sacked today. So far this morning, he hasn't been sacked. The The indications are that he will not be sacked today. So, you know, he, maybe he'll survive until tomorrow to take training with Clement Longley and Lucas Moura, I guess, are probably the only players who are not on international duty. But it is bizarre. I, I, I find it completely He's bizarre. He's lucky, isn't he? Because neither of them are likely to give him the right-hander that some people might say he so richly deserves. It's bizarre to me that he has he has not been sacked for for, for these comments. These sound like I mean, if if this is not a sackable offence, I don't know what is. Well, you know, I haven't I haven't um, consulted with the athletics lawyers, but I dare say if I was to wade into our proud proud employers in in, in exactly that way, I would I would fully expect to see the P forty five on the desk and the somebody's out, outstretched palm demanding return of the company car keys. Do people still have company cars? I'm not sure they do. Just to, to give you a, a lead-in, if I may, James, I, for the first time this season, had, by the end of the game, decided that I needed to go in on the players. 
because of the way they played in the last 15 minutes. The press conference, of course, completely changed that um, because in that way, it's probably counterproductive by the manager. Um, I thought the players were sloppy in the last 15 minutes and you know kind of got what they deserved. Um, but what were your emotions as, as first of all, you heard what he had to say and subsequently, uh, James? I mean, I was pretty happy because I thought it meant he was going to get sacked. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I mean, yes. the result of the game didn't really move me that much. I mean, I, I can't, I can't really say I was hugely surprised by that. And actually, no. if, if we dial back a week, a home to Nottingham Forest, and a three 0 up after an hour, looking incredibly comfortable, then suddenly, you know, end up conceding a penalty in injury time and clinging on a little bit. I know, you know. They probably yeah. wouldn't have been time to score a third goal if Forrest had scored the penalty, but whatever. There was oh, definitely come a... off it. Of course they'd have scored a third if they got the penalty. Come on. There was clearly a bit of a drift at the end of that game. So, uh, you know, as soon as Southampton get back to 3-2, I think everyone's worried when they can, when they score that goal that quickly. Um, and you're right, that does speak for quite a big issue among the players. And they're all experienced and well-paid enough to be able to, or should be able to, manage those kind of situations against team bottom from the league so on the one hand what Conte was saying with regards to that wasn't inaccurate or unfair I don't think but I don't really see the merit of uh, teeing up a situation where I spent Saturday night getting laughing emojis sent to me by fans of other teams on WhatsApp for the entire evening he's basically set like Twitter and WhatsApp trolls on me for the entire evening with what he said and I'm not saying any of those things are untrue about the way the club has been run and the, what, what the club has achieved. We've talked about them particularly in the last few weeks, but at least X percent of that is down to him. I mean, he's been knocked yeah. out of the FA Cup twice by championship teams in the space of 18 months, which I think is as many times as Spurs have lost to teams in the FA Cup from lower leagues in the last sort of 25 years or so. Leeds one year and the Leicester one in 2006. I don't know when the one before that was. So you're probably going back. What's the one they lost to Port Vale in 1988 or something? Oh, it's a long, long, long you're, time. So you're ago, going yeah. back. To, you're going back like 35 years, basically, for Spurs to have lost more games against lower league teams than that in the FA Cup. So he is clearly, at least partly, to blame. So it it does seem mad to me that he would come out. <laughs> he'd come out swinging like that uh, in that in that set of circumstances. And for it to now to sort of be suggested that he wasn't having a go at Daniel Levy, and he was just having a go at the club. Well, he's not having a go at like bricks and mortar at the training ground, is he? I mean, who, who is who is he having a go at if he's not having a go at Daniel Levy? Now, that part that part of it, um, which it seems to be swirling around this morning, that um, it, some part of it may have been under, misunderstood and it wasn't directed aimed directly at Daniel Levy. Unbelievable that they should be leaving, as you rightly say, uh, James. The people now taking the flack are the Spurs fans. You know, and of course other clubs supporters are going to have a go at you personally. I mean, I, that's obvious. But they're even going to go at me, a great and venerable oh, wow. person like myself. I mean, it's, it's, it's not understandable. It's, it's just incredible. Why did he do it, Jack? And I, I'm going to be, I've got to be very careful here because we have pointed out throughout the last few months that he's had a very difficult time personally. Is this political? What was he trying to achieve other than to get himself sacked? Can you think of any other reason? Well, I think as ever with Conte and his outbursts, it's kind of two things at the same time. I do think it was a authentically felt emotional reaction. Like, he was very, very emotional. And I do think there was a real sense of pent-up frustration. Uh, you know, he, he said himself he'd wanted to say this for for a while. He hasn't been able to get it off his chest. He The phrase he used was he'd been trying to hide the situation and pretend like he thought everything was okay. 
uh, and try and talk the players up. But now he's given up on that. And he has decided that it was, in fact, time to hammer the players like this. I do think if he'd been... I mean, obviously, still it was Stellini who was in charge for the Sheffield United game. If Conte has been there for that, I kind of got the impression that he might have said something like that then. So I do think there was an emotional element. At the same time, there is also clearly a you know political self-serving element here too, which is that Conte, Conte has to... I think he, he wants to make clear to the world that he thinks that this is an impossible job at an unmanageable club. And if he says to... If he can say... Well, look, you know, Pochettino and Mourinho and everybody found it impossible to do this. Nobody can can succeed at Tottenham. No one can succeed with this feckless group of players. I think that Conte thinks that he can tell a story, which then, you know, in the summer, if he's having lunch with the president of Juventus or of Inter Milan or Roma or whoever, then he can say, well, actually, I did... It will have to be an Italian club because nobody else is hiring this guy, I promise you. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. Then he um, can paint himself as being someone who achieved in impossible circumstances. So I know that sounds like a little bit of a contradiction, but I do think it was both earnestly... It was both kind of earnestly emotional and nakedly political at the same time. Also for the respect for the fans... They follow us, pay the tickets, and to see, to see the team another time, to have this type of performance, for me, I repeat, this is unacceptable. I mean, James, you've been around the game a long time. Um, have, have we ever seen anything like it before? I mean, I can't think of, I can't think of it in English football there being a manager who has kind of gone that rogue in a press conference and kind of set his sights on... I mean, over the, not just in this press conference, but over the course of the last two weeks, he's basically gone at the players, the fans, the board. I mean, that's pretty much everybody involved with the club other than himself. Um, I mean, you're right to mention the sort of trying circumstances of, of the last, what, like kind of six or seven months. Uh, and, you know, do you have to give some consideration to that? But that isn't an excuse for being quite so confrontational in those circumstances. And aside from anything else, he was saying stuff like this last season. We were having these conversations this time last year after the game against Burnley where, you know, his team lost quite meekly to a team that ended up getting relegated from the Premier League. Uh, you know, he was bemoaning the transfer window, kind of hinting at being unhappy at the way the club was run. And we were saying then, is he about to quit? And I don't think we've ever really, other than maybe for the duration of the summer after it was confirmed he was going to stay for this season, I don't think we've ever really been hugely confident that he was going to kind of stick out even just this season to the end of his contract. And I don't know if we've talked about this on the podcast before, but when Charlie Ecclesher went on paternity leave in September, he and I had a bet and I said to him, I didn't think Conte would be manager by the time he came back. Now, listen. Oh, it's going to be tight. It's going to be Char- very tight. Charlie comes back from paternity leave tomorrow on Tuesday. Tick, tick, so tick, tick. It is incredibly, incredibly close. And he was adamant that it wouldn't happen. And uh, but this is an indication of the fact, the reason I mention it, even in September, it wasn't like a mad idea that he wouldn't last the season. And even off the back of the summer transfer window, when you know, we talked about the amount of money they'd spent, fr- from the second he was moaning about Jed Spence, from the second he was talking about that as a club signing, I think that I still think that is the, like the kernel. That's the seed that was planted in that moment. That has meant, he, he's and been in a funk at exactly the same moment, almost within the same weekend. You're absolutely right, James. The Jed Spence thing seems to have stuck like a thorn in his paw. The same weekend that he is taking a torch 
to everybody remotely connected with Tottenham Hotspur Football Club, including us, the supporters, by definition, Jed Spence, the same Jed Spence, is out playing Kylian Mbappe to win the Man of the Match award in Rennes' victory over Paris Saint-Germain. He, he, he couldn't know that was going to happen to him, but it did. It just did. You know? Can I, I, can I add, actually, while we're doing, while we're vindicating James, something that James was right about. Our main thing, our main thing, yeah. Something, something that James was right about, which I think I was probably wrong about, is James is saying that they should have sacked Conte when they knew that he wasn't going to see out the rest, when he wasn't going to sign a new contract. Uh, and my view at the time was, no, they should just let it let the situation play out because Conte's a great manager. And I think I I completely underestimated the extent to which having a manager like Conte running down his contract would be totally corrosive to the whole football club. It's completely... The, the, this contractual situation, I think, has completely destroyed any sense of unity at the club because fans and players are left completely in the dark about what next season's going to look like. And now, in hind- even though at the time I thought, oh, no, they should just stick with Conte till the end of the contract then figure out next season afterwards. In hindsight, I actually think James was right. I think they should have... They they have put themselves in a position that I think no other club would allow themselves to be boxed into. Can I just say, I, I, I thought you were going to... Sorry, I thought you were going to say I was right when I said in the summer that they hadn't strengthened the team, they'd only strengthened the squad. Oh, no, there's that and as well. Yeah, yeah. When yeah, everyone else, everyone else well. thought I was mad. It's the James Moore writer-thon here on uh, The View from the Lane. But that, I mean, you, you you were right about that as well. Although, funnily enough, in that sense, you agreed with Conte because that would have been. I'm that sure, is true. Yeah, that would have been Conte's view. Is that it's all very, you know, I remember uh, people, you know, people would be very, probably including me, like self, not self congratulatory, but kind of uh, positive about the transfer window. And I can tell you, one person who wasn't been positive about the transfer window at the end of the summer would have been Conte because he didn't get the world class left centre back. He didn't get a world class right wing back. He knew that his first team hadn't been improved as much as he thought. And actually, it seems like the only two people in the world who thought the transfer window weren't good were Antonio Conte and James Moore. But this is the point, isn't it? He should have got on with it and not whinged all season, like me. And, and equally, But equally, though, if he, Antonio Conte, had dealt differently with Jed Spence, Eve Bissouma, and if Richarlison had, had a bit of luck with injuries and things like that, this conversation, we might be saying that James was once again completely wrong about everything. Um, it, but, but, it, it, but the point is... Uh, and uh, you know our opinions did align on that issue, and obviously I have spent the whole season moaning about it. But he is the manager of the club; he's getting paid a lot of money. Like mm-hmm. once the transfer window is shut and you're into the meat of the season, you've got to get on with it. You've got to find solutions from within the club. And for him to be moaning about the attitude of these players, even now as we're eighteen months into his tenure, like you're the manager, there are other yeah. players there. You pay the same players more or less every week. Find solutions. Yeah. It can't possibly be that every single man, every single player in that squad has a crap attitude because they finished fourth in the league last season. Half those players, probably more than that, got to the Champions League final four years ago without wanting to harp on about that again. Like yeah. this isn't like there are flaws in this squad and they need to be addressed. And we're like, there's no escaping that. Like he's not wrong if he comes out when he leaves and says they need another centre back, they need another forward, or whatever. That isn't wrong. But as the manager of the club. As the kind of the the icon, you know, like the leader of of the club, you have to set that example. You have to kind of outwardly show a good, positive mentality. I remember after the uh, after the Sheffield United game, when uh, Stellini said that there wasn't enough desire from the players, we said, it, "I said on here it was a cell phone." And uh, Conte's comments on Saturday were, I think, even more of a cell phone. 
you know, talking again about how, how as if it were impossible to motivate this group of players. He's paid £15 million a year to motivate the players. Assuming he never sleeps because of his famous and in, 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 much pro, proclaimed intensity, that's £2,000 an hour. He gets paid to think about sorting out this team. The reason why, and and he's obviously pained by how how much worse they've been this season compared to last season, and he's he said this quite a lot. You know what? Why why have sorry? He said this quite a lot. He's pointed to the the decline this season as if it's something that as if it's something unfortunate that's happened to him. But the reason that the team has got the reason that the team was worse this season than it was last season is because the players are fed up with him. The players are complete. They're clearly completely fed up with him, with his training, with his tactics, with the rigidity of everything, with his inability to motivate the squad or even manage the, the mood of the squad. Like all of this, and frankly, all of this stuff, this kind of bubbling tension and uh, antipathy between Antonio Conte and the squad has now been brought into the light by Antonio Conte. And so for him to complain that he can't motivate the players just strikes me as, I mean, it's, it's almost as if he's admitting that he can't do the job which he's paid a huge amount of money to do. I mean, the, the impression is that he doesn't even feel it's his responsibility so to do, Jack. That somehow um, the flaws of others um, completely excuse him from any responsibility for even, the, the, as you say, the tiny things he's supposed to be doing. I mean, when I was trying to think more lightheartedly about all of this, um, I, I wrote down uh, Conti's modus operandi, his MO, um, normally is to arrive at a club, win something, then blow the club up and salt the earth behind him. All he's done here is cut out the middle bit, isn't it, about winning something? Because it's just, it's, it, I, 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 I'm struggling. I get paid to express things in in the English language. I'm struggling for words for what I feel about the fact that he will not be there in a few weeks' time, maybe a few days' time, maybe a few hours' time, and we will be left to sift through the rubble of what is left behind him. And it's funny you should mention the, 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 the meltdown after Burnley because it's Burnley who are one of the examples of why there's any hope even going forward. Um, because Vincent Company and the Burnley board have shown how quickly you can turn football clubs and football teams around with proper leadership in the middle of it, the manager. No, but look, but look, uh, this whole the whole stink, that press conference on Saturday, uh, the things that were said, the way they were said, and the way certain people reacted to what was said, w- was entirely reminiscent of, of some of the things that Tim Sherwood said, some of the post-match interviews Tim Sherwood gave, some of the press conferences Tim Sherwood gave, and the way some... Journalists, some parts of the media reacted to that. And, you know, you remember, I was talking to Jack about this this morning. Liverpool away in, I would guess, March 2014. Before the game, Jan Vertonghen has stood in the tunnel. He's leaning on a wall, right, before the game. And I can't remember if it was Carragher or Neville or Sunes or whoever, Keane or whoever. One of the Sky Pundits absolutely savaged him. Was it Gary Neville? It was Gary Neville. Absolutely savaged him for leaning against the wall. That was an indication that he was a bad player of a bad attitude, you know. And Tim Sherwood, I think, was not a fan of Jan Vertonghen, and he, I think, was publicly. Jack will tell me if I'm wrong here. I think he was fairly critical of Vertonghen publicly, wasn't he? Didn't he basically say he couldn't defend in a press conference or something? Yeah, it, it was no secret that he was not a big fan of of Vertonghen and didn't especially rate him. But regardless of that, there are several players in that team that everyone thought were useless. Uh, you know, everyone thought Rose was was useless. Kyle Walker limited. Vertonghen had a good season and a bad season. 
probably wasn't really worth persisting with. You know, Dembele wasn't worth the money, whatever. And then you, you, it changes in an instant when you get a different manager in. And I'm not suggesting the same thing will happen again this summer. And I'm not suggesting that that should mean Pochettino should be the manager next season. But it, it is an indication that these things can change so quickly. And, and just to kind of completely fall for this suggestion that it's always entirely the players, I, I just feel like it isn't entirely fair. Like we know those players can perform to an incredibly high level. You know, most of them played against Man City the other week and defended incredibly well and kept a clean sheet. It's not like it's not like an impossibility for them to defend well against good teams. Well, until until um, a frankly ludicrous penalty was given against them at St Mary's. Now, to be fair, Fraser Forster gets Spurs in the game in the second half, so I'm not complaining about the overall result. But until a frankly made up penalty was given against them, they were going third in the Premier League. Despite being, according to Antonio Conte, the, rep- the, the feckless representatives of a useless football club. Um, of course, that all p- p- points once again to what a genius he must be to get these, this, this shower of pirates and reprobates anywhere near the upper, uh, suddenly uplands of the Premier League. It's dividing us. Um, Spurs fans, you have seen the, the t- Twitter reaction. People literally tearing at each other over what he had to say. Um, and I think it's worth just noting that we all think... Um, those of us who are Spurs fans, that you know, we are one Spurs fans. Each of us is committed to the one true faith, and each of us um, bleeds as navy and white as this shirt that I've very pointedly chosen to wear this morning. Um, and you know, that's usually the way we bumble along. What this has demonstrated is, is the fissures and the fault lines um, that we all support Spurs in our own slightly different way, and it's now. The way that press conference came out is, is both being used to prove and disprove absolutely everything that everyone thinks about Spurs, Enoch, Levy, the squad, and individual players. It, it, it has smashed whatever unity you might have with it within and around a football club, and that includes the supporters, into, into atoms. Now, that may be his purpose. I don't know. Um, you know, because if, if his purpose is to show that it's an impossible job, then the next manager that comes along will, will disprove it, I'm pretty sure, um, in a matter of weeks. But again, as you say, 2014, you know, a, fra- a fractured fan base, people bickering on Twitter and on the territories about players and the manager and whatever else. But within six months of Pochettino taking over, it feels like the best club in the world to support because everyone can clearly see like the vision of the manager a group of players who have brought into it, everyone's pulling in the same direction and it feels it feels good, it feels right, it feels like what it should be to support a football club. Uh, you know, and in that first season, I don't, the Spurs weren't especially good, were they? I think they ended up finishing fifth right at the last minute, but they hadn't been massively convincing throughout the whole, throughout the whole campaign. They got to the League Cup final and lost quite meekly. I, I mean, I wouldn't say, you know, it wasn't like... They beat Arsenal and Arsenal and Chelsea in the first four games, and it was an instant buy, and it was like a more gradual thing. But you could, it was more of a sense that it was moving in the right direction gradually. There was like a clearer vision that everyone could buy into, and we talked about that before. And that is what's obviously been missing for the last like three or four years, and that is why I think Jack said last week that is why everyone's getting so agitated. There's just no sense of what 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 is the point of suffering through watching that game for ninety minutes on Saturday, because. The game against Everton in two weeks' time is going to be a completely separate thing. It's going to be it's going to be all or nothing on that game again. Then it'll be all or nothing on Brighton the week after. But there's no sense of this being like 
a project in anyone's eyes. And that's uh, uh, purely, or well, not purely, but largely down to the fact that the manager so clearly isn't going to be there next season. Yeah, and, you know, um, after the break, we'll talk a little bit about um, what Daniel Levy's part in all this is and what the future holds. Um, but some of this has to, has to land at his door, obviously, in that he keeps on appointing, under advice, managers who are directly uh, in contradiction to what he's announced as the club's DNA and which all Spurs fans know, um, most Spurs fans know that they really want. And producing football that is only acceptable if it ends up winning something. Once you don't win it, we're just watching a load of rubbish. And nobody wants that. I've got to take a break. When we we come back, there's still so much of this to talk about. We might poke ever so gently at the actual events on the pitch at St. Mary's. Um, And I'll be asking my colleagues here uh, what happens next, knowing full well it's an impossible question to answer and that their answer may even be interrupted by events, even as we record it. You're listening to The View from the Lane. I'm Danny Kelly. Jack Pitt-Brook and James Moore are in the house. We're still scratching our combined century of watching professional football for anything that has matched Conti's uh, press conference. I'm thinking back to Giovanni Trapattoni when he was desperate to get out of Bayern Munich. And I think there's a player called Strunz that he particularly hated. And he stood in the middle of the press conference shaking his fist and chanting Strunz, 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 Strunz. Even that, Giovanni, has now faded into history compared to what happened um, at St Mary's at the weekend. More about that in just a second here on The View from the Lane. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. 
Hello, I'm Mark Chapman, and this week on the Athletic Football Podcast, we're bringing you a two-part special on the future of football. What will the expanded 48-team World Cup look like? And is it actually such a terrible idea? Plus, UEFA against FIFA, a Super League in disguise. How would you feel if your team became part of a multi-club model? There is a lot to get stuck into. Matt Slater, Adam Crafton and Laura Williamson will be with us. Just search for the Athletic Football Podcast wherever you listen. Before we get into the second part of today's show... Don't forget to vote for us at the Sports Podcast Awards. You have to go to this website and create an account. It's easy and it's free. It's www.sportspodcastgroup.com. That's www.sportspodcastgroup.com. After that, head over to the awards tab, then vote. Then you have to just go and click on the best team podcast, click vote next to the view from the lane. Don't vote for anyone else. Don't be foolish. Click submit your vote in the top right hand corner of the page. Simple as that. Let's win. Yeah, welcome back to The View from the Lane. Meet Danny Kelly, James Moore, Jack Pittsbrook. We'll get back to that press conference uh, very soon. Just a few snippets of lines for you. I mean, I don't know whether the rest of you are laughing up your sleeve or saying it doesn't matter, he's not a Spurs player anymore, but Daddy Ali does feel like one of ours. Um, and the fact that he's now been banished at Besiktas brought a certain sadness to me, I have to say. Not least because it seems such a great talent uh, is being, for whatever reason, not fulfilled. You may use the word wasted. Um, also, as I mentioned earlier on, Jed Spence had a brilliant game. Also, had a very good game. No, I don't want to over-egg it here. Um, as Paris Saint-Germain go through the motions of the rest of the season, having been knocked out of the Champions League, but he was the best player for Rennes, and they won 2-0 in Paris. And Tanguay and Dombele, who I would welcome back with open arms now, given some of the stuff I've seen in, in the last few months. Jack Tangay scored the fourth of Napoli's four goals as they continue to power their way towards the Scudetto. At one stage over the weekend, they were, in one of the so-called best leagues in Europe, 21 points ahead of such storied clubs as Inter and Milan and Juventus. And again... Shows what can be done with the, with a couple of... What they've got there is a load of really decent and hard-working footballers with two great players up front. Imagine that as a formula. Imagine <laughs> how that could be made to work in professional football. Um, Imagine tw- having creative midfielders. <laughs> 21 points. Uh, yeah, but no, and you're, so uh, both Lo Celso and, and, and Ndombele are rightly looking at the back of their hands and going, See, well, I told you, you know, you can't just run around all the time. You've got to do something better than that. Let's get back to uh, the press conference, Jack, because I, 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 in, in all the tumble of opinion um, and emotion that we were getting into there, I didn't ask you how it actually happened. Did he walk into the room, Antonio Conte, like in a cowboy film and just start blazing away? Or did somebody draw first? The first thing to say is that it, it took him quite a while to come in. I think he came in about 10 past six. And obviously the, the game, what, would the, what would be the normal time, Jack? Maybe half five. Oh, goodness, right. Maybe okay. four, 5.45 at a push. You know, it's a, it's a Saturday, it was a Saturday 3pm game. Didn't go on especially long, so it would have been finished about 10 to 5, like a normal, a good old-fashioned kickoff. And, um, yeah, so he took a long time to come in, and that always, that always sets people a bit on edge. 
And then well, you've got we, train to catch, Jack. Right, no, not, actually, not on Saturday. The, the, not on Saturday. There were no trains on Saturday, so I was oh, in the back of Dan Kilpatrick's car. Oh, sorry, um, I forgot you were we, living in Orwell's Britain. Go on. Yeah, but we saw that he had. Um, he had. We saw a tweet from a BBC journalist saying, "Oh, you know, I've just spoken to Antonio Conte, and he's criticised the selfish players." And so we thought, well, I mean, the, the the first thing we were thinking is, has he resigned or been sacked? And so when we saw that he was finally doing his post match media duties and had spoken to the BBC, we thought, well, at least he's at least he's still in the job. And look, look what he said, isn't that that? And that kind of sets you on edge that he's going to be interesting when he if he finally came in about ten past six. I think the first question he was asked was um, about the penalty decision. And to be fair to Conte, he said. You know, he said, look, there's no point in talking about the penalty decision, really. I want to talk about the bigger situation. Then he spoke for a good five, I reckon it was five or six minutes, about, you know, criticising everyone. And then uh, my personal chauffeur, Dan Kilpatrick, asked him, but Antonio, what about your future and your uncertainty? And at this point, Conte hit the roof and basically <laughs> shouted Dan. Dan and said, um, oh, you are finding an alibi, another, another alibi. You try to find alibi and an excuse for, for, for the players. Okay, continue, continue to do this, to find excuse for the players. You do only this, you do only this, excuse for the players. Yeah, but the players, maybe my, my future, and then okay, they, they, lost, they lost confidence, they lost spirit, they lost to, to be a team. Excuse, 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 try to protect, try to protect every time. And uh, this situation, ah, come on, come on, come it on. It was amazing because, like, in this kind of press conference, you don't really, there's not really that much point in asking questions because clearly there's so, you know, so much of it is, is driven by what Antonio Conte himself wants to say. And I was sat there thinking, I, I, I wanted to ask him, I wanted to ask him a question, and I actually thought the best question to ask him was, do you want to get sacked? But, or do mm-hmm. you want to still be here? Or do do you want to fix this? But then ultimately, I think were, he only took about two or three other questions, then walked straight out of the room, having done ten, having done a very generous ten minutes. So I, uh, I I didn't get to I didn't get to ask him a question, but ultimately, I don't think I, I really needed to because he was so much you know in in his own flow. Really, he put his two hands down on the table, palms down, as if to say, right, that's that. Stood up um, very uh, assertively. Well, well done for a man who's had recent surgery. And walked out. What went on in the room after he closed the door behind him, Jack? I turned round and looked at some other journalists and said, "Well, that was totally, wasn't it?" And then we quickly transcribed it all as fast as we possibly could, and then you know tweeted out bits of it, told our desk, you know, our desks what what had happened, and started to write it. And then obviously that evening, all we were talking about was, well, he's going to get sacked, isn't he? He's, you know, there was, I know there was some, we, we can maybe get into this later, there was some in discussion about to what extent was he actually criticising Daniel Levy. I think my initial reaction was that it was, a, it was a direct criticism of Levy. Having thought about it again, I think it was more of an implicit criticism of Levy. But regardless, I, did, I just thought he had made his job untenable and he'd done so on purpose. I don't think he wants to be Tottenham manager. I don't no, think he's enjoyed being Tottenham manager. Re- so no long. way, really? That's been yeah, true yeah. for months, No, as in like, anymore. Like, I don't think yeah. he wants to take... Oh. I don't think he wants he to He even more doesn't yet. want to be Tottenham manager. I think but he's, he's not chained to a radiator. He's not a prisoner, is he? Well, no, he could resign. I mean, I, I, but obviously managers never do resign anymore because, there's money, because of money. But um, I, I'm really... Yeah, it's the whole... I still come back to the fact that 
I've got this so wrong because <laughs> I've thought there've been now been three days this season, Danny, where I thought he's going to get sacked today. One was the day after Milan, the other was the day after Southampton, and the third was today, two days after Southampton. I've been I, at the moment, assuming he's not going to get sacked today. I'm over three. I'm the opposite of James. I get it wrong every time, and yet that's I why he's earned the big bucks. To be fair, I still can't get my head around why he is still Tottenham manager. Good, because the next question is, James, why is he still in a job? Do you not want to hear my prediction for when he's going to get sacked? Um, well, you can you can marl it into marble it into your answer, but why is he still in a job? Uh, no, I mean I I can't <laughs> like Jack. I, I and I, I suspect like yourself. I thought that he would be gone on the Thursday morning after the Milan game. Um, and I can't really see any reason, any good reason, why he would carry on in the job. I mean, you know, I think I said last week, there's a run of, four, or was a run of four games against Forest Southampton, what is it, Ever- or five, sorry, Forest Southampton, Everton, Bournemouth, Brighton, or Brighton, Bournemouth. They needed to get like maximum points from those games to put themselves in a good position before the run of more difficult games against Newcastle, Manchester United and Liverpool, uh, just to give them a bit of a cushion just in case. And, and to be honest, as you said earlier, you know, had they won on had they won on Saturday and gone third, I think you would still be like relatively and assuming this wouldn't have then happened, uh you would be pretty confident that they would be able to do that, I think. Yeah. Uh why is he still in the job? <laughs> I mean I, I can only assume that it's a, a matter of personal pride for Daniel Levy, perhaps. Like an acknowledgement, and I think we quite kind of talked about this before. Like, like sacking him now would be an acknowledgement that there has been a mistake made at some point, which there has, because you know, as Jack said before, they should never put themselves in a position with someone as emotional as Conte. And you know, we've seen the good and the bad of that. I think over the last eighteen months, it carried them through through certain points of last season. This this season, it's kind of flipped the other way, and has been a massive negative. So I can only assume that the, that the thinking is, let's just kind of cling on and hope that he's going to have enough to drag them over the line into the top four. You know, if they think that he's more likely to do that than anyone they're realistically going to get in in the meantime. How can they I mean, believe I massi- that? I would, I would massively disagree with that, but yeah. I, I could see the logic if they believe that. I don't think there's any chance he's going to do that. It's going to cause a massive stink, I think. I mean, I know it's what three weeks before the next home game. I suppose maybe that's what they're thinking. They give themselves an. You know, if they were at home to Everton, say in that game after the window, yeah. I reckon they would definitely, definitely, definitely sack him in this break. But I think the fact that it's away, and I'm not suggesting they're cowards. But nice I think the fact pause. That it's away, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that gives them a little bit more of a buffer in terms of like avoiding a really, really toxic, horrible home game. You know, we saw what happened to Nuno after they lost that game to Manchester United with that substitution and the way the fans had turned in an instant completely on him. And it was obvious from there, there was no clawing that back, even though it had only been 10 games. Uh, we didn't really see that in that Forest game, which we thought we might. I, 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 and I just think that that kind of is that out, the fact that that game is away from home. Um, you know, fans the other side of the pitch from the dugout and from the executive boxes as well I think at Goodison too I think that's right isn't it Jack away fans will be the other side of the ground from the dugout but I'm this, pretty sure it's the this other side lev- this level of honestly well, be, that's the kind of thing that's All the right, kind well, of thing well, I'm what thinking what is your it's prediction good, then you were desperate to get your prediction out what is your prediction when they will sack him if they sack him the Tuesday after Everton 
Oh, I see. Because they won't want to face the Spurs. Another, why would you waste another? No. Yeah. Why would Why would you have just done that, Jack? They did it last I weekend. Know, yeah, I know, I know. Uh, it's weird. I, I, so I've kind of got a few different theories on this. None of which I think fully convinced me. One is that I, you know, oh, so you're going to pass them on to us, are you? Yeah, and your so unconvincing I theories. Peratici is a big. It's really Conte's only ally left. You know, Peratici is the only person I think Conte is still close to at the club. But I can totally, I, I get the impression that he. Paratici is on Conte's side at the moment. Um, I I think that Daniel Levy probably has in his head a vision for how he wants the rest of the season to go, which is Tottenham finish well, they come, they come fourth, they get to shake hands with Antonio Conte, everybody saves face, it's a very amicable departure, and then they announce the next manager. Now, I can totally see why he would want to do why that's his his dream vision for the end of the season and I'm sure that he wants to avoid a repeat of 2021 where of course they had to sat Mourinho they sat Mourinho in April they got in Ryan Mason Mason did improve the team but it wasn't you know they they did improve in the league but they they lost the league cup final they didn't end up getting top 4 in the end anyway and then they had this kind of long drawn out public managerial search and I imagine that Levy probably thinks the one thing they want to avoid is a repeat of 2021 the problem is Conte destroyed any prospect of a smooth transition of power on Saturday evening. Like, that idea is just, to me, it's dead in the water because it relies on the players playing for him in the last 10 games. And I don't think the players are going to play for him in the last 10 games because of what he said about them. So I'm really surprised that if, and this is what it looks like at the moment, if Daniel Levy is still hanging on to this idea that they can just muddle through to the end of the season, what I would say is that, and I'm not saying this will definitely happen, but it's worth it's a bit of context worth remembering. They sacked Pochettino during an international break, right at the end of the international break, like three three or four days before they went to West Ham away. So it's not necessarily it's not necessarily the case that if you do it in an international break, it has to be at the very start. Clearly, at that time, I think with hindsight, we can say that Tottenham were, were figuring out, were kind of you know dotting the i's and crossing the t's on what to do next. So maybe, and again, I'm, this is from a position of, inf- of speculation rather than knowledge, it might be that Tottenham are figuring out what they're going to do next and they will retain the right to get rid of Conte at the end of the window. I mean, that is right, but uh, the situation now is so different to then, chiefly because you know they've known realistically since... I mean, if we're being generous, they've known basically since the start of the year, since the World Cup maybe, since Christmas, that he wasn't going to stay, or they must have had a pretty good idea it wasn't going to happen. I mean, assuming they had at least some kind of even informal conversation about a new contract in the first bit of last season. If they didn't and he was refusing to do that, surely that's probably an indication that it's not going to happen in itself. So from at least then, I would say probably from the summer, they should have been like lining up. You know, I think we were all kind of big enough and ugly enough to accept that clubs speak to managers all the time. A, you know, agents have conversation with fixers and whatever else. There'll be conversations going on or you would expect there to be. People are sounded out all the time. Would manager X be interested in coming to Spurs next summer if that, even when that became available or whatever? Like, I would hope that this time they're prepared. And Pochettino was different because he'd been there for five years. Obviously, he had a really close personal relationship with Levy and the fans. It's way more complicated picking that apart than this. And there is a complication. There's a further complication. You're absolutely right. Well, there's a longer contract as well. Paratici is, is still allied, we think, 
um, with Antonio Conte. We don't know what the future holds for him as this judgment about the extension of his ban in Italy to the rest of Europe that I think is due at the end of the month. But if he is Conte's um, last standing ally, as Jack suggests, um, you know, it's him who's got to, who's got to sort of be sifting through the available managers. It, it, the whole thing is an extraordinary mess. Um, and if they don't know who the next manager of Spurs is going to be, given that Conte has given them effectively six months' notice by not signing the contract during the World Cup, then that's a dereliction of duty um, at some level at the board. And they need to look at themselves very, very strongly. But that, that is the other option we need, to, we need to consider, by the way. But they, they do know who they want. They know they can't get them until the summer. Yep. And now they're trying to like... Work, they're doing the balancing act between is it worth giving Ryan Mason the games or, uh, I don't know, Chris Powell or whoever else is at the club on a temporary basis? Or does it make sense just to wait and just to kind of hope that things fix themselves over the next two months? I mean, I, I, I you know... I don't think it's impossible. That's the consideration that they do have an idea of who they want and they know they can't do it now. You know, I'm not, I'm not suggesting it is to Zerbi, but if it was, say. Mm-hmm. He's not, he's not going to leave Brighton before that semi-final, is he? You wouldn't have thought. And, and again, this isn't me suggesting that he is going to be the manager, but if it, that, that's just an example of the kind of thing. Or, you know, if it was some someone who's still in the Champions League or whatever, like you're not going to get a manager out of a club in that situation, I don't think, now, to come to Spurs with not a lot to play for. Okay, well, look, we, we've talked about this around the houses um, and we've also used up all the time in the podcast. Um, I'm not sure you can tell me if it's worth um, looking at what happened at Southampton, decent performance by Porro, a strange penalty and a kind of weird second half. Um, I'd like you both to give me um, your like closing statement on all of this, um, where you think it leaves the club and... Uh, and what what do you think about Antonio Conte as a human being for for you know as an employee for for where he's left us all? Uh, Jack, I'll start with you since you were within um, striking distance. No, I don't mean that, and nobody should punch him. Uh, by the way, that that was probably an outrage earlier. I might have said. Um, but where what are your closing thoughts about this? They don't have to be calm and reasoned. I don't suppose mine will be. I think it's been a. Dr- you have to call it a crisis. It's been a dramatic crisis at Tottenham to have the manager who is, or I know he's technically the head coach, but the fact is he is the front and say he's the public face of the football club. To have the public face of the football club trashing the brand like this is really, really remarkable. And I think it's, it's really, I think it's a disaster really for Tottenham publicly to have this happening. I think that I'm sure that lots of people at the club are really unhappy and upset with the way that Conte talks in public. Um, but equally, I think that even though he, even though he's gone further here than ever before, people can't say they haven't been warned. People know that Antonio Conte is a is someone who has outbursts like this and who has doesn't really mind if he upsets people, even his own employers. That's been the case at Juventus and at Chelsea and to a lesser extent at Inter. So I think that Tottenham, you know, no one at Tottenham can pretend that they weren't that they weren't warned about this. I think I think m- my analysis of the Conte and Tottenham relationship, which is clearly in its last few weeks and could even be in its last few days, is that while it, it suits both parties to pretend that they've been let down or betrayed or lied to, the reality of the situation is they both knew what they were getting themselves in for. Conte knew 
that Tottenham were not a club that is set up to challenge Manchester City and Liverpool and Manchester United financially. And yet he likes to pretend that he's been let down somehow, which I actually think is complete bollocks. Tottenham have compromised an awful lot for Conte. Tottenham have compromised more for Conte than Conte's compromised for Tottenham, to be is how I see it. And equally, Tottenham might all think that they're let down by Conte's behaviour. But then Conte's always been like this. So I think both, in a sense, it really underlines what we've always known, which is that this very strange marriage should probably never have happened. Both sides have stepped a long way out of their comfort zone to meet together. And yet, clearly, and both sides can pretend that they have been let down or betrayed by the other, but they both should have known at the start what they were getting themselves in for. And it's been a... It's it, to be honest, it's quite sad because he's clearly brilliant at what he does in a way, and even though he has left the, he will probably leave the team in a better team than it, it was when he picked it up from Nuno. It's been difficult and unpleasant and sad at points, and I think that just underlines the fact that this was this was never going to work. But is it a better team because of coaching or because of recruitment? <laughs> maybe you might be right it's a better team well I don't know I mean if Paratici had bought these play, continued to buy good players for Nuno I think the team would still be rubbish but I do think that the, the very clear improvements they made last season are down to Conte I mean this is a whole other podcast in itself I did expect the positive feeling of last season to continue into this one and I still think it's one of the great one of you know it's, it's a topic which you can talk about forever why were they so much worse this season than last season James. And clearly, that's at the that's at the root of Conte's anger. Uh, but the one person he doesn't seem to think might be in any way responsible for that is, of course, himself. James, I'll leave you a closing statement from you, please, about what you feel, Spurs fan, of course, about the events of the last forty-eight hours. <laughs> forty-eight hours or, or eighteen months? Um, no, no, forty-eight hours actually, because we, we we've been doing eighteen months for the um, last uh, for seventeen last months. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, as Jack has said, it shouldn't be a surprise that he would come out swinging like that, and it it it, it kind of wasn't really a surprise, was it? I mean, it, it, we all, we all talk about that as being unprecedented and not being able to remember him or anyone else saying quite those things, but it's obviously been bubbling under for so long, and it has been the kind of underpinning theme of the, his entire tenure, even when things were going well. You know, we mentioned him moaning around that Burnley game; he was moaning before that window as well. Uh, he's never really been he's never really seemed entirely satisfied has he he's never really felt like he's brought into the club in a way that you would expect a highly paid manager to do or 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 a highly talented manager to do it's always felt a bit arm's length it's, uh, and you can only assume that he's always had his eye on june july 2023 when this contract runs out and I can go to a club more befitting of my incredible CV. Um, which on one hand is kind of fair enough, but you've got to do your job in the meantime. You've got to do the job to the best of your ability in the meantime. And I, I don't think he has done this job to the best of his ability. I don't think he's given his all to do that. And again, there have been certain circumstances over the course of the last few months that have meant uh, that's been the case. But, you know, even before that, I, I, I mean, some of the performance we saw in the first half of the season was so bad. It, ha- it hasn't felt like a team that were well prepared for the season. It hasn't felt like a team that had been well prepared for individual matches. Um, yeah. There hasn't been any kind of tactical flexibility. They've stuck with the same system. Sometimes it's worked, sometimes it hasn't. There hasn't been any sense of, like, ever changing to 
kind of deal with the challenges that certain other teams face. I think most teams have probably kind of got quite a good handle on how that works now and how to stop this team playing. They're more or less beating teams now on the basis of the individual quality of the players. The selfish <laughs> in, players. In summary, the selfish players. Yeah, so I, I'm not. I wasn't massively surprised by it. It felt like a kind of natural progression, really. Uh, and uh, to be honest, speaking as a fan, I I can't wait for it to be over because there, there is no. I don't think there's any. I don't think there's any salvaging that now. It does feel like we're just in the holding pattern. We're just wasting time now. Probably wasted the whole season, to be honest. You know, think how happy we were to be back in the Champions League. You know, I I, I as a pessimist, famously. Uh, Really didn't expect Spurs to get back into the Champions League quite as quickly as they did. And, and that's an amazing thing to get back in, you know, 28 games left. They looked in a complete state when he turned up. And we shouldn't lose sight of that. The season when Nuno managed the first 25% of the games, the Conte's come in and ended up getting him in the Champions League. I mean, that is an incredible thing. But I, I, it's all been to waste. Because I, I just think there's been so little... You know, I talked the other week about the positive moments of the season and yet you find they beat Man City and Marseille away was great. I had a very nice trip to Lisbon. But I would say the positives from the season have been so few and far between. I mean, maybe there are one or two players that you think... Skip maybe in recent weeks, maybe there's a player there. Saar maybe. Poro maybe is going to be a big signing. I don't know. But it just feels like there's... So, when you're looking at this season in 10 years' time, I'm not sure there's going to be a whole lot there that you're really going to remember in a positive light. If I may have my say, and I, I'm not a pessimist, um, James, I try and find the positive, and I'm going to try and find the positive in a second. I mean, I will say, you know, if you want, um, the, the word Spursy has its numerous meanings, but only one club in British football certainly could find themselves third in the table in an incredibly competitive league as they were for a few minutes uh, at St Mary's and yet at the same weekend find themselves making extraordinary headlines for all the wrong reasons. That club is Tottenham Hotspur. What Conti said after the game was factually largely correct about the running of the club and about the, the things that he thinks are wrong and about even the way the team plays. He was factually correct. But of course, like all people, he was not saying all of the truth because there's another part of it, wasn't it? Um, and of course, he also made us, the fans, look mugs for even bothering to support all of this. Um, it's what he left out um, that was important. His own role, his own £51,000 a day role in having to organise and motivate a group of pretty decent professional footballers into something other than the shower of selfishness that he himself identifies in them. Um, so he needs to look at that. Also, and I think this won't please the Enoch Out Brigade. And, you know, I, I think Daniel Levy has had enough time to find enough solutions and maybe this, the club could do with some refreshment at the very, very top. I'll say that. But let's be honest. In a league containing Manchester City, Manchester United, Arsenal, Chelsea, Liverpool and more recently Newcastle, Tottenham's average finishing position is about fourth and a half. They are, year after year, achieving slightly better than par. Now, nobody wants to hear that because we want to see them winning the Champions League and parading it down the Seven Sisters Road and all the rest of it. But for him to turn around and pretend that the club's a joke, a laughingstock and incapable of ever doing anything good is clearly deluded. 
and wider the mark. And nobody wants to hear it, but Enoch and Daniel Levy have got them slightly above where they should be. And with a good manager, and I count them as Harry Redknapp and Pochettino, they've done even better than that and played some brilliant football in the process. Hello, Antonio. On a personal level, I think he looks to me like a big, spoiled, blame-swerving child. We're grown men, grown women, grown people. We all know that you know, nobody's individually completely responsible for the good or the bad that happens. To turn around and pretend that he himself has been tarnished by this horrible institution that he somehow, at £51,000 a day, finds himself chained to. He must think we're fools to fall for that. And there are people on Twitter falling for it. And I have to say, you are fools as well. If you're, but it's really not, you're not fools, really. You're just using what he says to get your point across. I get that. And lastly, I suppose, as always with these things, I've been around long enough to know. And the turnaround of clubs like Manchester United, Burnley, and there are other examples all over Europe goes to prove that when he is gone, um, I don't know, he might set fire to the stadium before he goes. Who knows? When he is gone and the toxicity of his reign follows him out the door, we, the fans, will still be there. We, the view from the lane, will still be there. And we, Spurs, Tottenham Hotspur, will still be there. And he will gradually diminish into the horizon as a person lost in our history. And hopefully Spurs will continue under somebody who better understands the club, better loves the club and wants to play some decent football. You've been listening to The View from the Lane. Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.